For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Today's scripture reading is 1 Samuel 15:34 through 16:13. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord was sorry he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn and fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then sent out and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. Hey, everybody. Uh, So the name of this sermon could be take a heifer with you, which I think would be good. Um, There are so many beautiful things in this passage. Uh, Before we get there, though, a quick word about some current events. Uh, I don't always talk about current events because I would never get to preach. Uh, But this last week, the Attorney General defended a new U.S. policy of separating children from their families uh, immigrant children from their families uh, when they are caught entering the U.S. by quoting the Bible. Uh, and he said, illegal entry into the U.S. is a crime. It should be, it must be. But I would cite to you the Apostle Paul in his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his purposes. So two quick words about that. Number one, this announcement is not partisan. I would point out to you that 
In 2014, President Obama deported more immigrants than any president in U.S. history. So the immigration problem certainly didn't start with the current administration. But this is a political uh, comment. Romans 13, 1 and 2 really does say this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So, what do we do with that beautiful verse? Because it's in the Bible. Last week, we learned about Midrash as a way of interpreting the Bible that goes beyond the simple, straightforward meaning. It doesn't contradict the simple, straightforward meaning, but it goes beyond it. And so if you're using Midrash around this particular verse, what questions might you have? <laughs> Was Paul thinking about Jeff Sessions when he wrote it? What's the context? And if you apply that verse, that, that every single person should obey every single person that's been in authority, then you have to apply it consistently. Hitler, Stalin, Obama, Trump, Assad, etc., etc., etc. So you're, you're actually not allowed to take a verse like that and just say, follow this person, but not that person. If you're going to say that that's what the Bible means no matter what, you have to apply it consistently across the board. Does that make sense? If you're comfortable doing that, then go for it. <laughs> I would argue that's not a faithful rendering of what the scriptures are trying to say. The reason why I believe that is because just a few verses later, we read this. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in, one, in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself, and love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So the, so the question then becomes, what do I do if a law, any law, demands that I do harm to a neighbor? What do I do with that? And then you'd have to ask, well, who is my neighbor? And luckily, there's a text about that one. <laughs> so then you could go there, and you could see what Jesus says about who is my neighbor. Do you see what I mean? So when, 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 whenever anyone uses the Bible to, to make their own point, including preachers like me or politicians like anyone, you actually are compelled to say, huh. And this is what I love. Like some people in our community uh, really in a great way have lovingly said, huh, to some of my sermons. And when, when it's done in the spirit of, huh, I actually love it. Because it, and this has happened several times recently, it, it, it invites me into knowing somebody better, it invites them into knowing me better, and it, it, it allows me to see a point of view that maybe I didn't see, it allows them to see a point of view that maybe they didn't see, and it, it, it opens our eyes to see that we can't use the Bible as a, as a club to just nail people over the head, like it's so clear and obvious what it says all the time, and I'm so clear and obviously right. Do you know what I mean? We can't do that. Well, we can do that. It just doesn't get anywhere. Then all we do is theological food fights, which some people, that's what they live for. Um, <laughs> it is messy. I actually want to do 
like real stuff in the kingdom. I, I would love to join the work of God in building the kingdom in 2018, which I think is moving forward. Uh, that's what I would like to do. That's what I would like to join. Uh, and so I'm inviting you when you hear anyone, including me or any politician, quote a Bible verse to carte blanche, give uh, authority to whatever, they, whatever agenda they want to do, you should at least say one, huh. Agreed? Let's be that community. And then we can dialogue together and learn from each other. Okay. You ready to get to this text? Trin, you ready? Trin's ready. She's, Trin, that, that skit, awesome. Was, was that not awesome? <laughs> Woo! Trini, how do you feel now that you've been working on that for so long, now it's done? How, like, is there a feeling of, like, joy, relief, gratitude? Yeah? It's nice to get it over with. But also, you directed that. So how do you feel like that whole process went of dreaming something up and seeing it happen? So did I. Way to go, Trini. Wow. Well done. Okay. This text, last week, if you were here, you, uh, we were about eight chapters um, prior in the story, and you learned that the elders asked Samuel for a king like the other nations, and they got one. They got Saul. And so this week, we're fast-forwarding sort of through the life of Saul, and we find out that God has rejected Saul, even though God was the one that picked Saul. And we read this really interesting phrase to start it off. And the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over, over Israel. Can, can I just step aside over here and say, like, what? <laughs> what questions does that raise for you? Huh. Huh. It, is God sorry for doing some things? If so, are there other things that we should be asking God what God might be sorry for? He's sorry about sessions. Uh oh, now we're gonna have a little food fight coming up. I, I could, I could smell it. Thanks, Greg. Where does the word "sorry" appear elsewhere in the Bible? Say, say it louder, Deva. Deva's Bible said "regretted," and that—that's even like. Whoa, even one more that just brings up lots of questions, doesn't it? About the character of God, about the immutability. I'm getting ordained this week, so I have to use all kinds of theological words. <laughs> it just means God doesn't change. Yeah, does it mean God made a mistake? Are we allowed to ask that question? I was having pie with someone the other day, and I was so intrigued by his journey, and he said, because it was all about knowing people who'd been marginalized. So, so I said, how did that journey start for you? And he said, I started asking the questions that I wasn't allowed to ask. Huh. And I knew I liked this guy. I liked this guy. Okay, Will brings more nuance. Does saying he regrets it or saying sorry means that he made a mistake? Or that um, he made this decision and now he goes, dang it, it didn't turn out the way I had hoped it would have turned out. I, I paraphrased a little bit because I forgot the last part. What was the last part? The last part was 
even though he regretted the outcomes, but that was a decision that he had to make. He had to make that decision even though he regretted the outcomes. Does it talk about his grief over his people? And, and that's where I would, thank you, Jenny. And I would invite you, like, look at this text. Go back and, and read. This is, like, the lectionary is beautiful because last week we're in 1 Samuel 8. Now we're in 1 Samuel 15 and 16. So you're invited to go and read some of the middle of the story. What are we missing? Um, what we do know is that when God told Samuel, according to this story, that Saul was being rejected by God, Samuel was very grieved. Uh, and, and, I, and, and, you know, even that's so fascinating, right? So, um, gosh, let's get into it. Um, now, this is going to be really disturbing, so my apologies. But you have to ask the question, why was Saul rejected? Okay? And according to the story, uh, 1 Samuel 14.52 there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. So he was engaging in lots and lots of battle. And when Saul saw any strong or valiant warrior, he took him into his service. What does that mean that Saul is doing? Kidnapping. Making slaves. Skimming the best off the top. Amassing power. Surrounding himself with people like him. Okay, well, before you get real judgmental, listen to this, because this is really going to mess you up. Uh, God, according to the story, God told Samuel to tell Saul, which he did, to go to the Amalekites who had oppressed Israel as they were coming out of Egypt, and I quote, kill both man, this is what Samuel told Saul that God told him. This is God's command. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All the children, infants, men, and women, and livestock. Kill them all. Genocide. Saul refused. Now, he did kill the men and children and infants and women, but he spared the king and he spared the best sheep and cattle. And that is why God rejected Saul. Huh. That was awesome. So, when you come to passages like that, you have some options. You can say, ah, it doesn't really say that. It can't, couldn't possibly say that. It must mean something else. Or you could say, uh, you know, the God of the New Testament is not like that, so God changes over time. But then you have that pesky immutability thing, and if you say that, then you don't get ordained. Uh, so God, God can't change. Um, so you have to take this passage seriously. You have to take the Peshat meaning seriously. You can't ignore that. You can't make it say something that it doesn't say. You can't pretend it doesn't say it. You can't skim across the surface of it. You have to make sense of that somehow. So uh, I will step over here into my editorial box and say, here's how I've made sense of that. I've not allowed myself to believe that God changes. 
I've not allowed myself to believe that the Bible is just, you know, eh. It's maybe filled with contradictions uh, where it can, where I don't agree with them. And so, but I do believe that the Bible has a trajectory. It's going somewhere. And the Bible deals with violent stories like that because the Bible is trying to make sense of the crazy violence that happened in the world back then and that it's happening in the world right now. But if you're looking for super clear answers, you're not going to find them. So let me quote Brian Zond. He wrote a book called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, and I interviewed him on my podcast, and I just found him fascinating. And uh, his story is that he, he used to be sort of a fundamentalist Bible preacher, wrath of God, and then he sort of had a conversion experience around who God actually is. And so uh, some of his book deals with that, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. The Bible is a violent book, he writes, because the problem of violence is a fundamental problem that the Bible is attempting to solve, okay? The Bible is no tranquil tome of idyllic platitudes. It's too haunted by the specter of bloody violence to ever be that. But as I read my Bible day after day, I don't despair of the violence because I discern within the Bible a trajectory that faithfully leads us beyond the archaic vision of an angry and violent God and toward the God of love revealed in Christ who patiently offers us the enduring shalom of the new Jerusalem. The possibility of resilient neighborly love and human flourishing formed around the worship of God and no longer haunted by the looming specter of violence is the hope I have for this world. I find this hope in the Bible. I find this hope in Jesus. So the way I make sense of that is I, I, I don't know what to do with the fact that we read that God ordered the slaughter of women and children and infants. Other than to say, somehow, in some way, the Bible is trying to make sense of violence that happens in the world. And where we see the Bible going is that Jesus takes in all the violence of the entire world into himself as he's hanging on that cross. And then he transforms that violence into redemption and love and grace for the world. And the body of Christ is meant to mirror that or reflect that to the world so that we are the body of Christ. We are the ones um, that actually can stand in the spirit of Christ and not retaliate to violence with more violence, but instead conquer it with love. And if you think that love is soft... It can't be. Soft things don't conquer violence. It's the strongest force in the universe. Amen? Okay. Today's text, if you're looking for the Peshat meaning, is that God rejects Saul and Samuel anoints a new king named David. Okay? Even though he doesn't appear to be kingly. Because why? Say it again. He's young. So he's a shepherd. He's small. He's insignificant. Thank you. We'll get to that in a second. You're uh, jumping ahead as usual, Joe. I love it. Okay. Jonathan, 
uh, nails it. So Jesse's coming into town, or sorry, Samuel's coming into town. It's interesting, he brings a heifer with him because he's afraid, <laughs> well, because they're going to do sacrifices, but I just love that, bring a heifer with you because you're afraid that Saul might kill you. But also, when Samuel comes into the town, the elders meet him at the gate, and what do they ask him? Are you coming peaceably, or are you going to do what you normally do and <laughs> confront us, you jerk? Coming peacefully, brought a heifer. Okay, come in. <laughs> Jesse welcomes them. I would like to see your, all your sons lined up. He lines up his seven sons in order of birth, leaving out his eighth son, David, who's out in the field. Now, one of the things that the, this, this would be a Darash question. We're not at Darash yet. We're still at Ramez, which means hint. So now we're at the Ramez level. We're going to look for hints, clues, things like what uh, Joe just brought up. Um, what does it mean that we are not told why Jesse didn't include David? Or are we told? In the text, what does it say? Okay. So what do we think? Do we think that maybe Jesse was familiar with uh, traditions. You know, Samuel's coming in with the sacrifice. He sees the oil. Maybe he knows, but maybe he doesn't. We're not told. So Midrash would say we have to try to make sense of that. And that was left out on purpose. So maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But that's exactly the question that you should ask. Um, so, but it's fascinating because... Samuel, he's already old. Remember, he was old last week. <laughs> he was old last week uh, before this whole business. So now, yeah, who knows? I mean, he's, I picture, is he, is he on a, does he have a staff? Is he wizened? Is he bent over? But my sense is like, okay, um, does he even know what's happening here? Right? He's been invited by God to go anoint a new king. He's worried because Saul might kill him, which that's, that worry is well-founded. So he goes to Jesse's house, and uh, Jesse's lined up his seven sons, and Samuel sees the oldest, Eliab, and, he, and Samuel thinks to himself, this is the one. But then we read the famous verse in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So remember, we're in the, we're in the Ramez layer, so we're looking for hints. So uh, I looked for the first time countenance was used, the first time height was used, and the first time stature was used. The first time countenance was used was Genesis 4, verse 5, when Cain's countenance fell, when God said, I don't like your sacrifice. So now Samuel's got a heifer. They just made a sacrifice. So... Here we go. Here we go. The writer's saying, we have another sacrifice. We're wondering if God's going to be pleased. God wasn't pleased with the last king. Is God going to be pleased now? So the stakes are high. Everyone tracking with that so far? Yeah? Height, first usage, Genesis 7, 19, talking about the height of the floodwaters in, in Noah. So we were talking about murder and sacrifice in the first word with Cain. Now, in the second word, we're talking about the floodwaters. What are we talking about? Destruction, death, 
What's the writer saying? <laughs> Karen. Only Karen can say that, right? It's all people are mean is what she said. Uh, and then stature, the word stature, first usage, Genesis 6.15, talking about the height of the ark. So these three stories have something in common, and that thing in common is, say it louder. Outward appearance. Yes, Jenny. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Outward appearance. On the outside, it looks like God's not liking Cain's sacrifice because God's unfair. The, on the outward, the ark looks like a big genocide machine, which that's another, huh, that whole, that whole story, to be honest. And then we read the word heart. God looks on the heart. Inner man, the mind, or inner person, the mind, the heart, the will, the soul, the understanding. So if that's what God looks at, then maybe we're going to find out what David's heart is like. And that's one hint. But who else might we find out about their heart? If we look on the outward appearance instead of the heart, whose heart might we need to know about in this story? God's heart, thank you. Jesse's heart, thank you. Our own heart, thank you. Cain and Noah's heart, thank you, Shannon. David's heart. What about old Samuel? Now remember, after, this, after the sermon last week, someone came up to me and said, have you ever heard the remez, the hint that Samuel could have been king, and maybe even should have been king. He had all the qualities necessary to be king, but because of his sons were evil, he wasn't picked. And so then he had to go anoint Saul, and he did it, but, oof. God, what do you see in me? My sons are evil and wicked, and I didn't do anything about it. Now I can't be king. All that is not in the text, but it, Remez allows you to ask that question. So now, wizened Samuel is about to anoint another king. And he, you know, he, it's like he sees not as God sees. And there he is again. Oh my gosh. Now remember last week we found out that Samuel, the, the root word of Samuel is, anyone remember? Shema, which means to hear. Thanks, Greg. So if you want to see as God sees, what, what do you need to do first? Listen. So when Samuel sees Eliab and says, huh, here's a fine-looking boy, and then he hears God say this transcendent truth that we look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, what's happening right there? Everyone hear that? Samuel's getting a new beginning. Samuel's getting a next start. Saul was also tall. Samuel anointed Saul, and he feels failure about that. He's heartbroken about that. He's grieved about that. That's what it says in the text. And God is saying, no, 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 no. We're, we're starting over. Um, and you get a new beginning too. Because I look at your sons, but when I'm looking at you, Samuel, I see 
something good. I still want you to anoint the next king. Does that make sense? I mean, there's so many layers to this, so, so much beauty. Um, so they get there, and the first guy, Eliad, isn't the guy. So for Samuel 16, 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. And then we read this interesting sentence about David. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. <laughs> so what question should, be, should you ask right now? I thought we weren't paying attention to the outward appearance. What, what, what are we talking about the outward appearance again? Why am I Seinfeld right now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Why are we all of a sudden back at the outward appearance? This makes no sense unless the Bible writers knew what they were doing and wanted to take you into the Darash level, which means the seeking, the third level of Midrash, which we might ask, is this story about David or is it about Samuel or is it about God? Last week, Samuel couldn't hear what he needed to hear from the elders. Remember that? This week, he does hear it. He hears this true thing. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And that allows him to see as God sees. And he sees this father. And he sees the sons. And he sees Jesse is leaving out the Hakatan, the youngest, which means, as Joe was alluding to, so when, when, it's, when we read David's the youngest, the Hebrew word is hakatan or katan, which means the youngest, but it also means the insignificant one, the one who doesn't matter, the one who has no future. That's King David. That's how we're introduced to King David, the one who has no future, the insignificant one. By the way, Christians, <laughs> who comes from the line of David? Another insignificant one. I, I'm, I'm being very serious there. He's from Nazareth. Uh, hillbilly, hick, hick, Galilee. Uh, no one, you know, paid much attention to him until he became about 30 years old. And it's in that line that God establishes God's eternal kingship out of an insignificant... Um, man named Jesus of Nazareth. So there's so many other questions that we could raise about this, but I want to hit the fourth layer of Midrash, the sued layer, the secret, the hidden, the mystery, um, by looking at these three words. Now remember, um, Eliab, it was his countenance, it was his height, and it was his stature. Those are the three, three words that described him. But David, ruddy, uh, I don't know if that means like he had red hair <laughs> or if he just looked, you know, strong, uh, beautiful eyes and handsome. Uh, but if you look at the word for handsome, wait for it, the word is tov. No. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? 
Now, if you're new around here, you're like, this is the weirdest church I have <laughs> ever been in, ever. But the word tov is the word that's translated as good in Genesis 1 and 2. But it's also something that we've come to understand as that um, tov is when the deepest, truest thing about you has come out of you and blessed something else, and then that thing that you've blessed produces something. That's tov. Does that make sense? That's good. And that's what David's going to be. David's going to, out of his lines, going to produce Jesus, and then Jesus will produce a whole new reality. So that's what Samuel, I believe, is seeing in a mysterious, weird, beautiful, hidden way. And so when he anoints David, David has no clue what his future is going to be. But wizened old Samuel finally can hear and finally can see. And I think God shows Samuel the entire sacred future right there. And that night, as he's sipping his tea on the porch with God, Samuel, I'm trying to imagine what Samuel might have said. Something like, no way. <laughs> and in private, in secret, God affirmed this man and said, your life has not been a waste because I look on the inward. Your life has been beautiful. Your life has been good. That's the God we serve. Amen? This Midrash stuff's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Is that Leo? Hi, Leo. We're going to go into 60 seconds of silence, as we always do, so that we can invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And after that, Steph will lead us through the prayers of confession and then into the Eucharist. So come Holy Spirit, speak to us now. <laughs> 